Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, October 21st edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm, Psalm 111, is one of these sweet little psalms, just 10 verses long. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Amen. Love this psalm. It's actually an acrostic. Each of the lines begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's uh, 10 verses long. There's 22 um, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so a couple of these have a couple uh, extra lines in them couple of these verses have extra lines. So anyway, it's like the first line begins with A, then the next one with B, then C, then D. It's a way, it's a, it's a memory device so that you could memorize the entire psalm easily. So it's a great, great little psalm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. And so we do well to fear the Lord, to follow his precepts. And so as we wrap up eight weeks of thinking together about this discipleship amid disagreement. First, I want to say thank you. <clears throat> I know a number of you have been listening or watching uh, for the entire eight weeks, so thank you for your patience and your forbearance. Uh, even when I began uh, the study back in the end of August, I did not actually have a sense of how long it would be. I thought maybe six or seven weeks and just kind of how each of the individual studies unfolded got us to where we are today. So just by way of review, this study has been in, uh, conducted in four sections. So the first section, part one, taking the light yoke of Jesus. Take my yoke and learn from me, this notion of discipleship as apprenticeship, and then extending that metaphor of the apprentice, getting into the workshop, the apprentice's workshop, the workshop of disagreement. That east of Eden, we're a bunch of fighters, we are. <laughs> we humans, we don't get along very well because of our sin. And God intends for that experience of disagreement and dispute and upset and conflict to actually be the thing that grows us up, that we would mature through that experience. Talked about a danger crouching at the doorstep, that the sin of Cain, 
of turning uh, brothers and others into enemies. Again, there's something in us that wants to fight. Am I my brother's keeper? And so the danger at the doorstep, when we get into disagreement, to look at that person, even a family member, and turn them into an enemy, which then justifies any actions or words or attitudes we have towards them. Again, in our minds, we, we think it justifies it. And then I, I, I suggested that we ought to let our differences make us into different people, learn to handle our differences differently. As Christians, we choose a different path than the, what the world uh, chooses. And so letting our differences make us into a different kind of people. Second section was all about just what are denominations, a brief history of denominations, denominations as interpretive families. We read the scripture a certain way. We make interpretive decisions. Those turn into interpretive boundaries, kind of the boundaries that form our denominational uh, structures. Then what do we do when those boundaries change, such as we're experiencing in the PCUSA, and then reflecting on whether or not um, it's heresy or an interpretive difference. Is it schism or schism, or is it denominational realignment? Okay, so there's you know a harder way of talking about this and a softer way. Um, and so made some of those suggestions. Part three was Greenwich's case for realignment, our a brief history of our gracious descent. We have over time dissented from the denomination in a number of ways, and we've expressed that graciously. They uh, went through particular points of misalignment with the PCUSA, and then talked about the only motive for, that we should pursue is the motive of love, not to offend. Um, you know, we, we're following the word of God. We don't wish to offend by that. So we're not angry. We're not accusing others, but we, we want to be in love. And then finally, we've been talking about this last uh, couple weeks, contending for truth with grace, the narrow way of grace and truth. Uh, the four tools uh, for apprentices. So kind of, kind of pull back to that apprentice uh, image and metaphor and then some opportunities to embrace and challenges that we need to be aware of. And then this last week, leveraging all of this for a much wider witness, which is what I wanna talk about very briefly now. <clears throat> the sobering reality is that our world, not just our church and our denomination, but our world is increasingly becoming angry and hostile. There is a polarization Typically, it plays out along political lines, but politics is really about, uh, we're just reading an article yesterday, politics is really about metaphysics. That is, what do we understand to be the nature of the world? What is the nature of truth? What is the nature of the human family? What is the nature of the universe? Is there a transcendent moral order? Is there something beyond us that is true and good and beautiful? Or is it only what we humans say is true and good and beautiful? So that's kind of the secular way of thinking about it. Just if a majority of people gets together and says, this is true, this is good, this is beautiful, then that's that. There is nothing beyond us that is transcendent, that is eternally true, good, or beautiful. <clears throat> we, of course, as Christians, believe there is a transcendent uh, realm and reality defined by God. And so, and so this 
the real, sobering reality, this political polarization, the division, the tension, the arguments, that the, the societal norms are changing. We can't even speak openly and calmly about the differences between men and women. What is a man? What is a woman? How do we advocate for that? How do we educate our children? Uh, how do we think about uh, fairness and equality and equity and justice? All of these uh, items that are informed, that, that, that our scriptures inform us about in the public square here in our own uh, nation, we, we have a very difficult time talking about these things anymore without stirring up this animosity and this division. And so the sobering reality that for many of us, our children or grandchildren <clears throat> or great-grands, if you have them, they are growing up in a very different world and they are thinking differently. Many of our children and grandchildren are thinking differently. It is now the norm that we would question a morality that sees gender identity as a fixed reality, that you are a male or female, what you weren't assigned a an identity at birth. You're born with a certain set of plumbing, and therefore you are a man, or you are a woman. And so our children and grandchildren now think differently about that, because they are growing up in a world and with a, a peer group and a kind of cultural narrative and cultural a story that now questions the previous generation's foundational understandings and is now wanting to grant freedom in a different way. And so our kids and grandkids think differently about many of these things. And the truth is few of us know how to have actually good and fruitful conversations with our kids and grandkids about these things. So. I have anecdotally tested this with a number of folks at the Greenwich family. You know, do you talk to your grandkids about this? Oh, we could never talk about those things. Everybody gets all upset. That's the point. What this entire exercise, this entire eight weeks is acknowledging that reality. How then can we learn the tools? How can we learn the disciplines? How can we form the character so that we can engage in fruitful, faithful, honorable conversations with those who disagree with us or with whom we disagree. And some of those people are in our own families. And so how sad it is to think that there are topics of conversation that we cannot broach with a family member, with a close friend, that if we did so, we would risk losing the relationship. But it's not because the topic is the challenge, it's because we don't have the character, we don't have the skill, we ourselves, and frankly, sometimes our children and grandchildren, right? That they don't have the character either to be able to enter into a, a conversation where we respect one another's points of view and we can explore those in a, in a gracious manner. And so that's why this study, not just our denominational conversation. Yes, that's why I went on study leave to do this, but it's this larger reality 
if and when we sort out our denominational alignment or realignment, we are still going to be in American culture. We're still going to be in a world that seems to be trending away from a, a biblical, theological, historic understanding of humanity and of good and evil and right and wrong and justice and the like. And so, you know, it doesn't matter what happens with our denominational realignment at one sense because we are st we're not going anywhere. We will still be on a certain corner <laughs> of the road, a, a certain GPS location is where Greenwich will be, and we're still going to have to figure out how to be in conversation, how to live well with neighbors uh, and, and others with whom we differ. And so it's leveraging this micro-conversation for this larger witness. And so let me just wrap up with a reminder of Jesus' words, take my yoke and learn from me. If you're heavy, if you're burdened, if you're weighted down with the cares of the world, with the struggles, the frustrations, the disappointments, the anxieties, the anger and frustration, all of these things that weigh us down, Jesus says, come, come to me, take my yoke, harness yourself to me, become my apprentice, right? Learn from me, become my disciple, the mathete. As we yoke ourselves to Jesus, it's not just learning his words, it's learning his ways. It's watching how he lived. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's the yoke of the world that is oh, crushing us. You have to believe these things or else you're going to be canceled. It's the yoke of our anger and frustration. Well, people don't agree with me, and so I don't ever want to talk to them again. This, these are the yokes that, that burden us down. The yoke of Jesus is a light and, and easy yoke. Um, Paul uses some language in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 about taking every thought captive for Christ. It's some pretty strong language. It's militant language, but it's in a spiritual context, right? <clears throat> He says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, beginning verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. See, that's the key. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The weapons of the world are the sword, are the ballot box, is power, is money, is status, is influence, it's bullying, it's canceling, it's, you know, it's this physical intimidation and we will threaten your jobs and we will threaten relationships and we will threaten your money and we will threaten your livelihood if you don't agree with us. These are the weapons of the world. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Well, what is they? Well, the, the weapons that we fight with, prayer and persuasive word of God. <laughs> Prayer and persuasion, these are our weapons. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, and so this language of demolishing sounds like duking it out, right? So I acknowledge that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. This is a spiritual war. 
This is not a physical war, so we're not going to intimidate people. We are going to sharpen our minds and soften our tongues. We're going to learn how to articulate and bear witness to our own truth, our own, our own, our own understanding of God's word, our convictions expressed with kindness and compassion. This is taking the yoke of Jesus. I just was reading in Luke's gospel. Jesus said, don't think I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus is a stumbling block. And we have to just understand that. That, that as we follow Jesus, he's going to call us in a direction that is at, ang- as at odds with the world. And so there is going to be uh, some bumping in. <laughs> but we don't fight as the world fights. Ours is not coercion. Ours is persuasion. Uh, the, the persuasive uh, words make, make uh, uh, pleasant words make a, a, a person's lips persuasive. We talked about in the Proverbs yesterday. And so we want to take every thought captive. That means our own thoughts captive. It's not just taking those thoughts captive. Our own thinking has to become captive to obedience to Christ. We have to think well. We have to think faithfully. We have to think honorably. We have to let God's word shape our thinking so that every moment we live, not just Sunday morning moments at you know 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Again, that's easy peasy spirituality. Every moment becomes the discipleship moment, the discipleship opportunity to live this moment for Jesus Christ so that we look at all people as image bearers. All people, even those who, who, with whom we disagree most vehemently, they still bear the image of God. And so they're worthy of our respect and our honor and we listen to them. And so all people are image bearers and our motive for all of this work of engagement and, and prayer and, and seeking to persuade, all, our, our motive and only motive is love. I can have prophecy, I can have faith to move mountains, I can discern spiritual mysteries, I can give my body to the flames, I can give all I possess to the poor, uh, I, I can have all of that. But if I have not love, I have nothing. And so this is where the yoke of Jesus leads us to the path of love where we sacrifice, <laughs> we serve, we, 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 we sometimes bear suffering but we persevere. Jesus pressed on for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And so we bear the cross of Jesus. The yoke of Jesus also, he says, take up your cross and and follow me. Die to yourself and follow me. (laughs) Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. If you want to be first, then you learn to be last. If you want to be great, then you learn to be the servant of all. Jesus is the ultimate flipper of the script. He flips the script. And so if we are really serious about wanting to influence our world, very serious about wanting this to be a better place, the answer is not at the ballot box. Ballot box is part of things. In our society, lots of people don't get a chance to vote in their world, you know, in their country. We do. So let's exercise that. But let's understand that's not where the action is. The lever of the ballot box, and I realize we just pencil it in. We don't pull a lever anymore. But the leverage is not at the ballot box. The leverage is, is, is right here. Acts of love and service and listening and honor and, and, and a persevering 
uh, way uh, of leaning in, uh, of examining our own selves, questioning you know, our own tribe. What's the worst about my own tribe that I wish would be different? How can I honor the best in what I observe in your community, your you know, uh, moral tribe, as it were? How can we find a way to honor one another? Let's try to learn each other's love language. Um, these kinds of things. Let's practice the Genesis quadrant, honoring all people, no matter who they are. As we, as we do these things, it's hard, right? But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's right or isn't good. And so the path is a narrow path of discipleship. And so discipleship amid disagreement encourages us to, to learn of Jesus in a way that, that perhaps we, we can't in any other way. And so again, I thank you for your attention. Um, uh, for these last eight weeks, I do invite you to go <laughs> rewatch these. Um, administrative note: I believe because of you've um, got a I've got a funeral tomorrow, uh, a, a funeral next week for so Mary Francis and then Mike Sims. Um, these are pretty challenging days uh, right now around the the office and and what I'm working with. So I believe what we're going to do is do some replay. Uh, for a couple of weeks, and I think we're going to begin next week with a, a short little reflection that I did last year uh, after my mother's death, notes from the house of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, notes from the house of mourning, the mourner, and that's a phrase from Ecclesiastes. It probably will go into that Ecclesiastes study, which takes another couple weeks, so it might be about the next three weeks we're on replay but it'll be purposeful. Allow me to catch my breath after a eight week uh, uh, study here and also to work through uh, the challenges of, um, of next week. So uh, thank you. Let's take a moment to pray uh, and uh, let's get out there and follow Jesus. <laughs> Lord, thank you for these eight weeks. So much has happened in our lives, in our world, in this, since we've begun this study. But most, we ask that in these eight weeks that we become different people. We become closer to Jesus and have found ourselves bearing his yoke uh, more, more easily. And thank you for that light and easy yoke. Help us to learn uh, of him as we go forward into this world. Um, and so, Father, hear our prayer that we might become more like Jesus. And we offer this prayer because he taught us to pray together, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may you Find and know the light and easy yoke of Jesus, and may you grow to know him this day and forevermore. Amen.